God's answer to everything that has ever confounded us or wounded us or taken from us or broken us or terrorized us, God's answer to all of it is a child. According to Isaiah 9 verse 6, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I mean, isn't that the wonder, the greatest wonder of Christmas? Namely, that something so small, something so vulnerable, as unlikely as an infant, that we could hold in our arms is the power of God to make every wrong thing right. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 is a reason. It accounts for how something has come about, which is interesting since we don't often think about this familiar text that way. It was during my my um, senior year at, at what is now Bethel University, um, that our college choir performed Handel's Oratorio, The Messiah. And The, uh, the Messiah, we, we did it on our spring choir tour from memory, the whole thing. And anyone familiar with Handel's Messiah would recognize the chorus, For unto us a child is born, unto us... Son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Well, that, that little conjunction that's the first word of the song, for, <laughs> it introduces a reason or a cause. But we hardly ever would even pause to consider this familiar chorus answers a why question. Why? Because a child is born. How so? Because a son is given. What is the why or the how so question that the for or because unto us a child is born answers? And in order to identify the occasion for this emphatic reason, I want to invite you to give your attention to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to Look at verses 1 through 7. And if you're able, would you please stand in honor of God's word. And please follow along as I read these seven verses. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time... He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness... On them, light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. 
They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Why? How so? And and here's the reason. In fact, there are three reasons. For, because, the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Second reason. For, or because, Every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Third reason. For or because to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of His government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over His kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And this is the hope that fuels our Advent worship. This is the promise that strengthens and builds our faith. And this is God's holy and authoritative word. Let's pray together. And so, Lord, we're trusting your promise that faith comes through hearing and hearing comes through the word of Christ. And so, Lord, may your word strengthen faith. May it bring into being faith. May it awaken hearts and souls. May it draw us. Lord, may you draw us to yourself and to the Christ in whom every wrong thing will be made right. And we pray that you would cause us to see and to behold that you'd act upon us now, bring revelation. And Lord, would you call into being a response, joy, faith, repentance, gladness, hope. Help us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, according to Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, something remarkable has happened, and it has happened in in the most unlikely of places. In ancient times, whenever foreign armies would march across what is referred to as the Fertile Crescent to invade Israel, the first area to come under attack was Galilee, Galilee of the nations. The Galileans were the ones that always suffered first And always suffered most. Every Galilean knew someone near and dear who had died a violent death. Think about that. Every Galilean knew someone who had been taken from them. The Galileans lived every day with the feeling of helplessness and 
despair. Their world was characterized by grief and gloom. And not all that different from today, it was a dark, dark place. This past September, I, um, I met a young man who has planted a church in, near Kalispell, Montana. He grew up as a missionary kid in Africa. And uh, when he came into his own spiritually, he prayed that God would send him with the gospel t- to the darkest place on earth. And just a few years ago, he found himself shepherding this small church that he and his wife have started on the Flathead Indian Reservation. And he said something to me. It has landed with such weight. He said, on the reservation, everyone is grieving something. He said, if there is a darker place in the world, I don't know where that would be. In places where people walk in darkness, in in lands where people live every day in darkness, everyone is grieving something. And so it was in Galilee of the nations. But it was in that place, that darkest place where everybody's grieving something, on that land, on that ground where people suffered first and most, God came to his people first. And it's from that dark, dark, lowly place that God launched salvation for the world. God turned invasion into mission by making the people of Galilee the very first ones to see the light of Jesus. It's according to Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 to 17. The gospel writer recounts, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And it was from that time, it says, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's how God ushered in this new era of grace, triumphant grace. The people made no contribution to it. Every verb In Isaiah chapter 9, 1 through 3, is is passive tense. It happened to them. It happened to them. It happened to them. It it happens to us. We make no contribution to this remarkable inbreaking. God will allow no one the honor of contributing to their own salvation. The ones walking in, living in, trapped in griefs and gloom and brokenness, darkness, suddenly and sovereignly found themselves just kind of blinking, you know, under this light that they had never seen before. And on account of this revelation, on account of this in breaking of God's sovereign grace, something happened. Look at verse 3, Isaiah 9, verse 3. You 
have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And the you, in verse 3, is God. And he's spreading his light to more and more and more people. God is awakening. God is stirring. God is drawing and God is making and multiplying a small remnant into what Revelation chapter 9 describes as a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And their joy isn't subdued. Oh no. They're not like... They're not like Oli, who loved Lena so much that he almost said so. No, Isaiah, Isaiah compares their response to the joy of workers gathering this huge harvest. Their joy is likened to those who receive a massive Christmas bonus. Their joy is like a band of soldiers hooting and hollering and firing their guns into the air while dividing the spoil. Their joy is like the fans that storm the football field after beating their greatest revival or their greatest rival. Their joy is like the locker room of the Super Bowl champions right after the game. One commentator writes, "The triumph of God's grace over our depressing failures is joy unspeakable and full of glory forever." And then in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 4 through 7, he explains the why, the how it came to be. He uses the word for or because three times. So how did this, how did this miraculous revelation happen? How did this miraculous deliverance break in upon the world? How, how do we account for this astonishing turnaround? First... There is an unlikely hero, an unexpected hero for sure, the kind of hero that no one would have ever seen coming. Verse 4 says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. What's going on in Isaiah's mind when he says, you have broken as on the day of Midian? What's the day of Midian? According to Judges chapters 6 through 8, Midian were the bad guys. They, Midian and their allies, the Amalekites, had form, uh, formed this alliance, and they were, they were just terrible, thorn in the flesh to God's people. Whenever he, Israel would plant crops. The Midianites, according to the text, would devour the produce of the land. Whenever they came, they, they were, according to the text, like locusts who left no sustenance, no sheep, no ox or donkey. They just took everything. They took it, consumed it, and Israel was brought low. But God sent an angel to visit a man named Gideon. An unlikely man, an unknown 
smallish figure from the weakest clan in all of Israel, kind of a Frodo Baggins, kind of a Rudy Rudiger kind of a man. He's weak compared to everybody else. But the angel said to him, God will be with you to save Israel from Midian. So in his own strength, Gideon, he, 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 you know, he, he did something significant. He managed to pull together this army of about 32,000 fighting men. And then God reduced it to 300. And, and then God's strategy through the little man was this audacious bluff commanding Gideon's ridiculous little militia to blow trumpets and, you know, break jars and hold up torches in the night. But, but through that, God, through this entire massive invasion force into panic, and they end up slaughtering each other. So it was an unlikely hero called and empowered by God, who broke the power of the mighty Midianite Amalekite alliance. And what's distinct about this salvation, again, described in Isaiah 9, 4 through 7, is that it's, it's really not owing to Gideon or anybody you or I included, we are not the subject of any of these verbs. True liberation, true salvation comes from beyond us. And Isaiah chapter 9 verse 7 explicitly states with an exclamation point where it comes from. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So you see, Isaiah is looking forward to... A hero better than Gideon, or Frodo, or Rudy, or guys who plant churches in their late 50s. He, he's looking toward a hero who will not only defeat all the forces of evil, he's looking forward toward a hero who will bring an end to all conflict. Isaiah points to us to a hero who will end all wars. Look at verse 5. For, or because, every boot, every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, it's a gruesome thing, rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So Isaiah sees a day when every weapon, every tool of destruction, every machine used for oppression and terror will go onto the bonfire of God's grace. It will be, as this passive verb form suggests, it will be burned. <laughs> it's a subtle whisper, isn't it? That this victory, again, it's just not our accomplishment. So loved ones, we, we step onto battlefield after the victory's been won. We step into a promise of peace of which there will be no end. And all we do is party. Hip, hip, hooray, you know. But who is this unlikely but all-powerful hero stepping onto the world stage? Through what remarkable person does the zeal of the Lord bring renewal and peace and 
justice and righteousness. How does it happen? Verse 6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It, the power of God is so far greater than the most fearful bullies and evil tyrants of the world that he doesn't need to become an even bigger bully or more terrible tyrant. Rather, he becomes a child against all expectations. It's a weakness that overwhelms power. When everything else has failed, it is foolishness that outfoxes wisdom. So, loved ones, God doesn't need our strength. He doesn't depend on our brains. Jesus Christ crucified is the only Savior and enduring King of the world. So, look at Jesus Christ. Look at this Christ. Who has the best ideas? Who knows what to do next? Whose strategies actually work? Who untangles stuff when we get so wrapped around the axle? Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Call on him. Who wields the power that actually awakens spiritually dead hearts? Who, who wields the power that actually changes people from the inside out? Who's the serpent crusher and the giant killer and the, the mighty one who defeats his enemies with a little... Pfft? Jesus is mighty God. Fall in line. Get behind him. Who loves endlessly and perfectly and gladly supplies to us everything that we need? Jesus is our everlasting father. Rely on him. Who reconciles us to God and forgives and covers all of our sins? Who stills all of our fears with a promise? Who will make all wars cease once for all? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. Welcome his rule and reign. Who will satisfy our heart cry for every wrong to be made right with infinite justice and righteousness from the time of his first appearing to the time he will appear again? It's Jesus the Christ, the Lord. Jonathan Edwards once preached, Jesus is a king of the most unparalleled forbearance and grace. Never was any kingdom ruled by a government so mild and gentle and gracious. He's exceedingly gracious in the manner of his ruling his people by sweetly and powerfully influencing their hearts by his grace. Not governing them against their wills, but powerfully inclining their wills. It reminds me of a quote I wrote 
my journal when I was a young seminary student. How can we defeat the one who is able to fly in under the radar of our prejudices and win our hearts? <laughs> what can we do? He is so gracious. How can we or anyone thwart God's purpose? Loved ones, history is going God's way. Look at verse 7 again. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forever mild. This child is God. This child is the king to end all kings. And to us, this child has been given to save us from our failures and from our griefs. Joining us into his own justice and righteousness. He's Jesus, the Christ, the Lord. Our crucified, risen, reigning, and coming Savior. And listen, he, he, he's not going to return in his second advent just to sort of tweak you know, this problem or that. His rule and reign will bring an end to all systemic evil forever. So how is it that Emmaus Road Church came to exist? And how is it that Caleb and Hannah and every other baptized believer in this room came to trust Jesus? And how is it there can be any light or hope in this dark and grieving world? And how is it that anyone can see the glory of God and come to love it? And how is it that there is anything to be celebrated at this most wonderful time of the year? Why is there great joy? How? Why? For to us a child is born. It's because to us, a son is given. And the infinite weight of the governance of God's eternal rule and reign is on his shoulders. And this child, this son, whose birth we celebrate, is a wonderful counselor. He is God all-powerful. He is an eternally loving, caring, responding protecting, leading Father. He is the Prince of Peace. And His gracious light to rule is ever increasing and spreading. Knees are bending to His authority among all peoples and nations. And if we live by faith in Him now, accepting His weakness as our strength and His folly as our wisdom, we're going to be there on the day He comes again to enjoy his triumph, forever ascending, forever enlarging, forever intensifying. There's never going to be this moment when we, anybody's going to say, well, that, that's it, no more. You know, we've seen it all. He'll never surprise us with anything new. No, 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 no. And for all eternity, every moment will be better than the last. And we may have full assurance that it is and will be so because the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let's pray.
Lord, we've, we've seen evidences of your glory. We've tasted evidences of your wisdom. We've had some appetizers of your mighty power. We've felt the comfort of your fatherhood. Lord, we have even had times when fears have been stilled and we've just felt like everything was okay. And we would ask, O oh Lord, that the promise of this text would be revealed in greater fullness for each of us. That each day, as long as we live, and for all eternity, these glorious blessings would continue to increase and increase and grow and expand and enlarge and ascend and fill us with deeper and deeper satisfaction in all that you are. What a great God you are. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.